Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 1. I'm your host, James Laidler, Australian poet and writer. In this episode, we'll be lining up for our place in society with the provocative poem, The Applicant. In this poem, questions will be swallowed like big, fat antidepressant pills. Minds will undergo shock therapy. Genders will be straightjacketed and people's hopes and freedoms will be thrown into padded cells for the insane. Welcome to the madhouse. Welcome to The Applicant by Sylvia Plath, read by the fantastic Lucy Freeman. The Applicant, by Sylvia Plath. First, are you our sort of a person? Do you wear a glass eye, false teeth, or a crutch? A brace or a hook? Rubber breasts or a rubber crotch? Stitches to show something's missing? No? No? Then how can we give you a thing? Stop crying. Open your hand. Empty? Empty. Here is a hand, to fill it and willing, to bring teacups and roll away headaches and do whatever you tell it. Will you marry it? It is guaranteed to thumb shut your eyes at the end and dissolve of sorrow. We make new stock from the salt. I notice you are stark naked. How about this suit, black and stiff, but not a bad fit? Will you marry it? It is waterproof, shatterproof, proof against fire and bombs through the roof. Believe me, they'll bury you in it. Now your head, excuse me, is empty. I have the ticket for that. Come here, sweetie, out of the closet. Well, what do you think of that? Naked as paper to start, but in 25 years, she'll be silver. In 50, gold. A living doll, everywhere you look. It can sew, it can cook, it can talk, talk, talk. It works, there is nothing wrong with it. You have a hole, it's a poultice. You have an eye. It's an image. My boy, it's your last resort. Will you marry it? Marry it? Marry it? So before analysing this poem, a few words about Plath's life are in order. In the months leading up to her death by suicide in February 1963, Sylvia Plath wrote The Applicant in a time of intense productivity. She was only 30 years old. The poems she produced through this turbulent period were published in 1965 in her posthumous collection Ariel. Plath was psychologically haunted and scarred by her relationship with her husband, the poet Ted Hughes. Hughes's infidelity and abuse within the relationship is well documented and led to the couple's separation in 1962, leaving Plath with two small children to care for. 
In this context, her struggles with motherhood, marriage, and the role of women in society form the backbone of much of Plath's work, which was often radically autobiographical in nature. Plath notably used her life experiences to explore the more universal implications of her own experiences as a commentary on society as a whole. Instead of using her poetic talent to dress up life's hardships with pleasantries, coded language, subtle innuendo and euphemisms, Plath used forceful language to hold up a mirror to the cruel world so often experienced by individuals. In The Applicant, Plath parodies the historical and political forces shaping American society during her lifetime, including capitalism, consumerism, conservatism, patriarchy and conformity. Rebelling against the spirit of the age typical throughout the 1950s and 1960s, the narrator in The Applicant is created by Plath as a hyperbolic embodiment of patriarchal values to show the reader just how widespread their influence really was. The release of Ariel following her death led to Plath's growing popularity. This is particularly because of her work having a distinct strong female voice in a male-saturated world. A voice that was unwavering, assertive, abrasive, insightful, vivid and rich. Plath's radical tendency towards the autobiographical also helped to popularise the confessional mode of poetry in society, a style notable for its straightforward and raw depictions of personal experiences. Plath's confessional style was partly influenced by Robert Lau, who mentored both Plath as well as Anne Sexton, who were both pioneering voices in the realm of second-wave feminism. So I want to say a few words here about the narrator of the poem. No significant background information is given in regards to the poem's narrator. The narrator's enigmatic presence reveals neither sex, age or occupation. Despite this, it can be inferred that the narrator is either a manager or executive of some type, probably an affluent white-collar worker, either male or female. Of course, it is important to note that this poem is written in the form of a dramatic monologue and that the narrator's underlying nature is therefore revealed through how they behave and what they say. In addressing the applicant, the narrator is assertive, bombastic and direct, determined to unsympathetically interrogate the applicant and strong-arm him into purchasing a wife without giving him any real opportunity to respond. Added to this, the pronoun you used by the narrator puts the reader in the shoes of the applicant, evoking a sense of solidarity between the reader and the applicant. Overall, the narrator's mannerisms and cold-hearted behaviour makes them hardly human at all. In some ways, the narrator is perhaps not a specific person. Rather, Plath here, one could argue, has created the narrator as a satirical stand-in for society itself. According to this view, the narrator is simply the personification of big business interests, one that puts immense pressure on people to conform to narrow gender roles and values. In this way, the narrator could be seen as the embodiment of the marketplace itself, which privileges males over females and promotes a blind adherence to a consumerist and conformist way of life. 
The poem also contains many end-stop lines that reinforce the narrator's harshness. These end-stops create sudden pauses that add to the terse, blunt and uncaring mood, especially because the average line in this poem is quite short. The punctuation at the end of line one, for example, creates a concise, straightforward question and establishes the narrator's authority. The end stops in lines seven to nine also feel quite abrasive and forceful, almost as if the narrator is shouting orders at a child. How can we give you a thing? Stop crying. Open your hand. End stops fill the poem, creating groups of concise, commanding sentences that drive towards the poem's conclusion. In this way, it openly exposes the narrator's true intentions throughout the interview to demand the applicant purchase a wife. So I want to talk now about some of the themes of the poem, in particular the pressures that are created through a consumerist society. As the narrator interviews a silent, presumably male applicant, to work out if he would make a suitable husband for a nondescript woman, the poem parodies the transactional structures and expectations of modern relationships. The interviewer or narrator in this setting functions as a kind of grotesque corporate salesperson. To get the deal over the line, the narrator berates the applicant about his perceived deficiencies as a man and objectifies his potential wife, turning her into a material solution to all the applicant's problems, a kind of automated machine that is designed to work once you coax it out of the closet and put it to use like an electrical appliance. Functioning as a personification of the marketplace, the narrator reveals how capitalist consumer culture constantly preys on human insecurities in order to promote the consumption of products. By accentuating the applicant's apparent deficiencies, the narrator manipulates the applicant to conform to social expectations that say he needs a wife. The narrator repeatedly refers to the notion of emptiness to suggest that the applicant is somehow incomplete. This is notable when the applicant is commanded to stretch out his hand and the narrator draws attention to the fact that it is empty, implying that there is something missing. The narrator also insinuates that there are other problems with the applicant, namely that he is stark naked, and that he would benefit specifically from a suit in order to blend him in harmoniously with society. Added to this, the narrator argues that the applicant's head is also empty. This engenders anxiety in the applicant by implying that his lack of a married partner not only makes him brainless, but also implies that he is unprotected from threats such as bombs and fire. To wrap up his pitch, the narrator also coins the phrase last resort, which sounds a lot like an advertising jingle such as buy now and last chance. Cleverly, the narrator, by pointing out the applicant's flaws, uses the stereotypical wife as the perfect solution to all these newly accentuated problems and insecurities. To market the applicant's potential wife as a consumer product that is esteemed first and foremost for its functionality, the narrator dehumanises the wife and strips her of all personality so that she becomes a kind of bland automaton that will comply to all his wishes. The wife will feel his empty hand be the ticket to remedying his empty head and mourn him in obedience when he eventually dies. Indeed, the wife is basically a Swiss army knife that can deal with any dilemma, 
But Plath makes us feel that there is essentially something lifeless in these exchanges, something mechanical and wrong. You have a hole. It's a poultice. You have an eye. It's an image. Here the narrator doubles down on the wife's objectification and lack of agency by referring to her patronisingly as an it, and then later as a living doll to be toyed with by the husband. Language such as it works, there's nothing wrong with it, reinforces the image of the applicant's potential wife as a machine, her value being derived from her utility. In other words, she is an investment that accrues value over time. Generally speaking, the narrator shows how market forces can play an insidious role in shaping the well-being of human beings. If left unchecked, such poisonous consumerism will erode the foundations of human life. talk about another theme which is gender stereotypes and social conformity. In this poem the narrator reveals that patriarchal gender roles restrict the freedom of both men and women. Throughout the interview the narrator evaluates the applicant against a restrictive masculine stereotype that promotes dominance as paramount to male identity. On the other side of the coin the narrator pigeonholes the applicant's potential wife within a narrow archetype of what a woman should be in an attempt to objectify and sell her off. In order to imprison both sexes within narrow gendered ideals, the narrator strips the potential wife and the applicant himself of their individuality and denies them their right to independence. Being an interview, the applicant is keenly aware that he must be the interviewer's sort of a person in order to land the job. As such, the narrator uses his power in the situation to deny the applicant's own sense of thought and desire and lays out a vision of manhood he must either comply with or perish. On the surface, the narrator puts forward a series of questions, but the reality is that any freedom the applicant has is just illusionary, menacingly asking from the start, are you our sort of a person? What follows is a brutal chain of questions that leaves little room for a response, let alone for disagreement. The narrator indicates the applicant's personality, thoughts and opinions by imposing his views into the situation by casting them at absolute truths. For instance, he emphatically says the applicant's head is empty. The only real question the applicant is asked is essentially rhetorical. Well, what do you think of that? with the applicant clearly expected to admire the potential wife being paraded in front of him like a car in a showroom. Likewise, by instructing the applicant that his wife will do whatever you tell it, the narrator is conditioning the applicant to adhere to gender expectations where the man is meant to order the wife around in order to conform to social norms. At other times, the applicant is chided and told to act manly and stop crying. To conform to the manly stereotype, the narrator also forces a plain, stiff suit onto the applicant. That's not a bad fit. In doing this, the narrator's intention is to stifle the applicant's individuality and to force him to comply to the rigid, conservative attitude marriage represents in a patriarchal society. Throughout the poem, the narrator objectifies the proffered wife, marketing her as the perfect woman. She will bring teacups and roll away headaches, thumb shut your eyes, sew and cook, for example. Added to this, the applicant is encouraged to invest in his wife, 
as her value will accrue from paper to silver to gold. And by claiming that women will generally dissolve of sorrow, the narrator is arguing that women are emotional to the point of hysteria at times. So in other words, women are essentially nothing without men, reduced to tears from which we make new stock from the salt, probably from the salt in their tears. Another way of reading this reference to stock is that the narrator is comparing widows to food scraps, explaining that the organisation that the narrator works for recycles them into new stock. This metaphor is brutal. First, it is focused around maximising profit that can be derived from each woman. The term stock and its associations with merchandise and trade encourage this perspective, denying women a sense of personhood. But this image also implies that all women are more or less the same, easy to literally reduce, reuse and recycle altogether. Finally, stock is typically made by boiling down the remains of once living creatures. By equating women to meat, their bodies and their sexuality are emphasised as products and ingredients in a future meal, while also indicating that widowed women are used up, carcasses of their former selves. Finally, the applicant's potential wife is commonly referred to as it to diminish her humanity. She morphs into an absurd collection of body parts such as a hand to suggest her role as sexual object. The narrator also belittles and mocks her femininity by saying she drones on and on with the reference to talk, talk, talk. And by saying that there is nothing wrong with it, the narrator suggests that this is how a wife is supposed to behave. The narrator denies both the applicant and his potential wife's individuality by claiming that their value to society is directly proportional to their adherence to narrow gender roles. By enforcing these stringent standards, the narrator proves that patriarchal gender roles erode the freedoms of both men and women. So it's time for me to wrap up things for this episode and say goodbye. Of course, if you want to access further resources on poetry or support our work, you can visit our website at www.litpoetry.com or simply subscribe to our podcast. A video analysis of this poem and video clip of the performance can be found on our YouTube channel as well. We'll finish by listening one final time to the poem. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. The Applicant by Sylvia Plath First, are you our sort of a person? Do you wear a glass eye, false teeth, or a crutch? A brace or a hook? Rubber breasts or a rubber crotch? Stitches to show something's missing? No? No? Then how can we give you a thing? Stop crying. Open your hand. Empty? Empty. Here is a hand to fill it and willing to bring teacups and roll away headaches and do whatever you tell it. Will you marry it? It is guaranteed to thumb shut your eyes at the end and dissolve of sorrow. We make new stock from the salt. I notice you are stark naked. How about this suit, black and stiff, but not a bad fit. Will you marry it? It is waterproof, shatterproof, proof against fire and bombs through the roof. Believe me, they'll bury you in it. Now your head, excuse me, is empty. I have the ticket for that. Come here, sweetie, out of the closet. Well, what do you think of that? 
naked as paper to start. But in 25 years, she'll be silver. In 50, gold. A living doll, everywhere you look. It can sew, it can cook, it can talk, talk, talk. It works, there is nothing wrong with it. You have a hole, it's a poultice. You have an eye, it's an image. My boy, it's your last resort. Will you marry it? Marry it? Marry it? You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.